The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. It's Tokyo 1987. A young, relatively unknown businessman is giving an interview to a local magazine. I always say this. It's a habit, maybe a kind of disease. I won't rest until I'm number one. His name is Masayoshi Son. Outside of Japan, he's usually just known as Masa. I just hate not being first. People want to sleep well at night. But I lose sleep thinking, why am I not yet number one? What do I have to do? At the time, it was easy to laugh at Moss's big dreams. After all, becoming the world's top company, it seemed outlandish. Masa himself had just turned 30, and his company SoftBank was all of six years old. But today it's not so laughable. Over the years, Masa built SoftBank into a technology giant, and he's among the world's 100 richest men. And now, Masa is on to perhaps his biggest, most daring project yet. Talk about SoftBank's Masayoshi Son has formally announced the first round of capital commitments for his tech investment fund that is worth more than $93 billion. It's called Vision Fund, and money has come in from Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, Apple, Qualcomm, and Foxconn. Masa has plans to increase the amount to $100 billion in the next few months. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Peter Ulstrom. And this week on Decrypted, we have the story of Masayoshi Son, the eccentric Japanese billionaire who conceived of and willed into reality an enormous fund that has both awed and terrified the global technology industry. Venture capital firms are worried that so much new money will drive up valuations for startups, hurting returns for everyone. But no matter what happens, this fund has earned Masa a place in the pantheon of the world's legendary investors. We'll speak to his biographer as well as his first employee, and we'll also play you some tapes of Masa as a young, unknown businessman from 30 years ago that have never been released before. Masa has made an unlikely journey from being bullied as an outsider on the rural island of Kyushu to becoming one of the wealthiest men in the world. And after all that success, he's risking it all now for even greater returns. Stay with us. So, Peter, the tech industry has been bracing for a few months now for Masa's vision fund to close. It's a pretty heady expression of optimism in the future of technology, not only for Masa, but the other entities contributing to the fund, like Apple, Qualcomm, and Foxconn, and the Saudi Arabian government. It's hard to think of anything we can compare it to. Well, there hasn't been anything quite like this before. I talked to a professor at the University of Chicago who made the point 
that Sequoia Capital could raise $10 billion tomorrow, but they don't. Why? Because it's dangerous. It's hard to find enough promising deals to investing with that much money. But Moss has never been a conventional investor, right? I mean, he's, he, he looks not only for startups, but to invest in bigger companies. And his vision seems a little bit bigger and bolder than average. That's right. This is a man who speaks without irony about his 300-year plan. He looks for really big opportunities. He says he's interested now in artificial intelligence and space, the Internet of Things, and also this. Here's Massa speaking to investors through a translator on an earnings call a few months ago. We saw a big bang in PC. We saw a big bang in Internet. And I believe the next big bang is going to be even bigger with IoT and singularity. One of the futuristic dreams he'll be investing in will be the integration of computers and humans, known among enthusiasts as the singularity. The chip is going to exceed human brains. Uh, intelligence, and that to be connected with wireless and connected in the cloud for super intelligence. Um, okay, these are ideas once thought of, perhaps still thought of as science fiction. I kind of think there's still many technological, practical, and perhaps cultural barriers to the vision. Still, though, in Japan, Masayoshi-san is one of these larger-than-life household names that everybody knows, right? That's right. He's the second richest man in Japan. He's worth about $14 billion now. His company, SoftBank, is a mobile operator, but also has a huge investment portfolio with stakes in hundreds of companies. He backed Yahoo early on, along with a bunch of early technology companies. His biggest hit so far has to be Alibaba. He put in an initial investment of about $20 million, and that's grown to be worth more than $90 billion. You've had a keen eye for what might be a successful investment. Yes. This was Masa talking to Charlie Rose in 2014. Yahoo Japan. I mean, this is the most recent one, Alibaba. Yes. Alibaba is going to be a huge payday for you. Yes. Yes. It'll be one of the largest IPOs around. Yeah. Yeah. We are lucky. Yeah. Well, you, you need a luck once in a while. <laughs> Masayoshi's son grew up on Kyushu, which sits at the southern end of the main islands of Japan. His family had come from Korea, and this heritage made his early years difficult. Right. For all its reputation for being such a polite country, Japan is also a really difficult place to be as an outsider, even more so if you come from China or Korea, which both have long troubled histories with Japan. That all meant Masa's classmates would sometimes pick on him. He was pelted with rocks and left bloodied. He talked about the challenge of being an immigrant in Japan with Charlie Rose. Japan is a homogeneous you know, race country. Yeah. One culture with one race. So if you are considered outsider, it's not easy. Nowadays, uh, I stick up enough so people know that I am... I am, you know, hmm. just myself. But one thing Masa and his two brothers had going for them was their father. He was the kind of man who praised his children endlessly, especially the young Masa, who was particularly precocious. Here's Masa talking about what his father would say to him. <laughs> you are a genius, number one in Japan, he would say. There's no one better in your age group, the smartest. You'll be a big shot. He keeps saying that. 
like it's brainwashing me for any silly little thing. As a kid, even before I started elementary school, I started to think, maybe I'm actually the real deal. Boy, Peter, I thought the conventional wisdom in parenting now was that you weren't supposed to overly praise your kid. I may have to start over with my kids. Here's how Atsuo Inoue explained it. He wrote a biography of Masa called Aiming High. The secrecy of his success, Sonsan's success, I would say, from his father's, how to raise up the kids. So that's why I would say he's an American with a, a samurai mind. Atsuo first met Masa when Atsuo was a journalist here in Tokyo. He interviewed Masa for a profile he wrote for a local magazine. Atsuo agreed to be interviewed for this episode, and when he stopped into our offices, he had quite a surprise. I love this. This is true internet history about to be made. I didn't know what to expect when I reached out to him. He showed up here in our Tokyo office. He's a dapper, older gentleman with long silver hair and impeccable manners. He was carrying a big black backpack, and he started to pull all this stuff out of it. Oh, my gosh. And? Well, he had magazine articles that he had written decades ago, in Japanese, of course. He had a new copy of uh, the Son biography that he had just finished up. But the biggest surprise was when he pulled out a fistful of cassette tapes, old-fashioned cassette tapes, he had brought in the recordings that he had done with Masa 30 years ago. He said that he had never shared them with anyone else before. Wow, the lost tapes of Masayoshi-san. It gives you a sense of what Masa was like at that age. Those clips of Masa at the very start of the show and that clip of Masa talking about his dad both come from these tapes. More than anything, they help me understand how ambitious, how incredibly ambitious this guy was from an early age. So that's why Peter, so I'm just brought the, that's that's the treasure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I think it's the, uh, I'm just suggesting uh, you could just one part of, you know, one minute or so of his uh, younger boys. Our family was very poor when I was young. Grandpa and grandma came over from Korea. Both were very anti-business. Buying something cheap and selling it at a higher price was immoral to them. Even as a young kid, I saw how hard my dad worked, how much he suffered. I remember thinking that I wanted to make him comfortable one day. Masa has made many surprising moves throughout his life, but the first one was moving to the United States when he was just 16 years old. He had studied English there for a few months and then decided to quit school in Japan and move altogether. From there, he enrolled at the University of California at Berkeley, and that changed his life. He learned English, he met his wife, and he became an entrepreneur for the first time. Here he is with Charlie Rose again. I wanted to start my own company. So when, when I was a student at Berkeley at 19 years old, I already started a small company yeah. and I made the first electronic dictionary. And it sold it? To Sharp. To Sharp. Yeah, for $1.7 million. Yeah. For a 19-year-old kid, it's, it's not bad. I wanted to find out more about this period and how Masa got his start as an entrepreneur. So I tracked down the man he worked with while he was in California, a man by the name of Hong Lu. They met while Hong was managing an ice cream shop. 
my uh, uh, waitress was trouble a lot by saying, Huang, we got a, we got a, a customer says, if we do not do exactly what he wants, he will refuse to pay. I said, oh my gosh, I said, I, I, you know, I've been uh, working there for already four years already, and I have never run into that kind of a customer. So. It turned out what Masa wanted was a particular kind of milkshake. Hong made it the way he wanted, and the two started talking. They found out that they had both grown up in Japan and became fast friends. I met with Hong in Hong Kong, where he spends most of his time. He's tall with wire-rimmed glasses. He wore jeans. We talked at the Shangri-La Hotel in Kowloon. There was tight security around the hotel that day, an enormous fountain in the lobby. It turns out Hong was the first employee that Masa hired while he was still an undergraduate at Berkeley. He was Berkeley student. Uh-huh. He lives in Oakland. So I went to his apartment. And you asking me to do a next three years plan? I just say, why don't we start from what are we going to do first so I can make a plan? Masa always had big ideas, and he had successes. Besides selling an early translation machine to Sharp, he got into game machines. Space Invaders became a big hit in Japan, and Masa wanted to bring that idea to the United States. So he bought one of the machines from Japan, and he put it into the ice cream shop where Hung used to work in the late 1970s. And then my boss called me to say, Hung, your machine is broken. I said, okay, broken? And then... Then I went in to, to, to see, it wasn't broken. The money was overflown and it cannot put it in anymore. It was, it was very successful. So Space Invaders took off. Yeah, it became a hit in the U.S. like it had been in Japan. It was a sign of things to come. Masa saw opportunities and businesses that generated a steady stream of cash. When we were running the game arcade, uh, the reason he likes it is because you can get the cash every every day, and so he always believed in the 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 cash cow business. He repeated that approach as he moved into software distribution, magazines, then broadband and wireless service. So he always telling me that his dream is in the future to run the infrastructure business. So I said, what is the infrastructure? What is what is, what, is, what kind of business is infrastructure? And he said it's, uh, you know, a railroad or, or the highway or gas, water, uh, and, and et cetera. So, so those are infrastructures. And, and, and so he, he always have a very early stage vision of what he wants to do. And so later on, he became uh, um, the broadband operator. Masa's entry into the broadband and mobile world marked a significant new chapter of growth and success in his career. But it came after a serious fall. We'll get into that right after this word from our sponsor. You know where you want to be. Red Hat has the broad portfolio of open source technologies to get you there. Meet your evolving business challenges head on with secure solutions for the enterprise, including Linux platforms and containers, hybrid cloud infrastructure, application integration and development, operations management, and beyond. Visit redhat.com slash open tech to learn more. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision.
Okay, we're back. So Masayoshi Son is a young man with huge dreams. He's been to the U.S., sold his first company to the major Japanese electronics maker Sharp, and is riding a wave of success after taking the Space Invaders video game to the U.S. Peter, what came next? Well, he was in business with Hong in California, but he ends up moving back to Japan after college. He founded his company SoftBank in 1981. It began as a software distributor, and that was just the start. Here he is from those tapes 30 years ago. My dream isn't to be number one in PC software sales. My dream is information industry with PC at the center. Going forward, there will be no difference between a PC and a mainframe. Absolutely. From there, he moved into magazine publishing, first in Japan and then globally. He bought Ziff Davis, the publisher of titles like PC Magazine and PC Week. He bought the Comdex trade show, and he used those businesses to gather more intelligence on the up-and-coming companies in technology. And he began investing in startups. That's right. He backed more than 800 companies during the dot-com boom, and he saw his share price soar along with theirs. At one point, he was closing in on Bill Gates as the world's richest person. And then the crash. His stock fell 99%. He lost more than $60 billion on paper. Wow. So maybe he was a little humbled by all that? (laughs) Maybe, but not gun-shy. In 2006, he announced his decision to buy Vodafone in Japan, which was the third largest carrier at the time. What people didn't know back then was that Masa had already talked with Apple about making his company the only carrier for the iPhone later on, even before he bought the carrier. Here's Masa talking with Charlie Rose again. So I said, you know, if I would enter into the mobile uh, business, you know, mobile carrier business, I need a weapon. And who can create the best weapon in the world? I said, it's only one guy, Steve Jobs. I, I called him up and went to see him. And I, I brought my little drawing of iPod with, uh, uh, you know, mobile uh, capability. Yeah. And I gave him my drawing and, and Steve says, Masa, you don't Masa. give me, Masa, you don't give me your drawing. <laughs> <laughs> I have my own. <laughs> Don't give me your your drawing, Masa. (laughs) I said, well, I don't need to give you my, you know, a a dirty paper. But uh, once you have your own product, give me me for Japan. He said, Masa, you are crazy. You know, we have not talked to anybody, but you came to see me as the first guy. I give to you. Is that right? Yeah. So you walked away as the carrier in Japan. That would be affiliated with the iPhone. Before I acquired Vodafone Japan. Before you got Vodafone Japan. Yeah. yeah. So, so I said to him, you know, if you can give me exclusively for Japanese market, that would be fantastic. Right? And so I said, uh, write it down, sign for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, Masa, no, Masa. Masa, no, Masa, I'm not going to sign for you because <laughs> uh, you don't even own the yeah. mobile carrier yet. I said, well, look. Steve, you promise me, me you give me your award, I, I bring a, a carrier for Japan. You know, our colleague and co-host Aki Ito used to work out of the Tokyo office, and I remember her telling me that she signed a SoftBank contract in her first year at Bloomberg back in 2009, specifically because she wanted an iPhone, even though her editors told her to go with one of the bigger carriers that had better signal range. She probably wasn't the only one willing to make the leap to SoftBank for the iPhone. The deal was instrumental in making SoftBank the carrier that it is today and a household name. 
But SoftBank has grown to be so much more than a mobile carrier. Like we talked about earlier, it now has stakes in hundreds of companies, including its hugely successful stake in Alibaba. Even in the way that he talks about his decision to invest in Alibaba, Masa clearly revels in making himself an outsider, someone who directly goes against what everyone else is doing, which might not seem that unusual for our listeners in the U.S., but you really don't hear a lot of people talk that way in Japan. Here he is on an earnings call from earlier this year, speaking through a translator. Sixteen years ago, I invested into Alibaba. Sixteen years ago, at the time in making that investment, at the time in Japan, the top leaders of the business circles in Japan, when I said I invested in a Chinese company, Alibaba, what is that company with the name of a robber? You cannot trust China. You will fail if you invest in China. So many people cautioned me. But at the time, I said, no, I don't agree. Just a year ago, Masa was talking about retiring. He had brought in a former Google executive as president and named him heir apparent. Masa didn't end up stepping down, of course, and that didn't surprise Atsuo, the biographer. Atsuo had sent Masa an email on his birthday a couple years back, and Masa's reply was telling. He wrote that he's ashamed he hasn't been able to do more in his career, that even now he hasn't been able to accomplish even 1% of what he hopes to do. hard to take in the full scale of Masayoshi's ambitions with the Vision Fund. Here in the U.S., the CEOs who run the biggest companies are always looking for ways to make their shareholders richer today. But Masa is a long-term guy. I mean, seriously long-term. Here he is talking about PCs back in 1987 in his conversation with the journalist Atsuo. In the past 20 years, the capacity of computer is doubling for the same price. This will continue in the next 20 years, which means more than a million-fold increase in power. That computer will be more powerful than a supercomputer now. And he was right. And now he's thinking long-term again. Here's what he said in an earnings call earlier this year. What happened to this quarter is not really the focus, but rather we are focusing on the 10 years later. How are we going to... Uh, form our company 10 years later, 30 years later. So I am seriously thinking to sustain the company or the group uh, towards uh, 300 years so that we would like to set such the foundations to sustain 300 years. Wow, so he's planning for three centuries into the future. That's the mentality that he's applying here. Peter, do you know where the idea for the fund came from? Well, it came together as it began to bump up against the limitations for SoftBank on its own. SoftBank is one of the most heavily indebted companies in Japan, and last year he went out and he agreed to pay $32 billion for chipmaker Arm Holdings. His shareholders sort of freaked out. This was outlandish even by his standards. And then a Saudi prince came to town. That's right. Masa met the Saudi Arabian deputy crown prince last September. At the same time Masa was looking for capital, Saudi Arabia was hunting for ways to diversify its economy beyond oil. They met for about 45 minutes, and they came away with a handshake deal. 
Then it took a long time to finalize the fundraising. So what happened? Well, partly it was the sheer scale. You had a huge amount of money at stake. Apple and Qualcomm and the others had to negotiate their pieces. In addition, the Saudis wanted more than just financial returns. They wanted to learn about the technology industry. They didn't want to be seen as just dumb money. So what did they end up getting? It's not clear how active the limited partners will be in the Vision Fund, but the head of the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund was just named to SoftBank's board last week. Let's talk about the fund itself. How does the rest of the venture capital community feel about this? There's a lot of concern. Already, venture capital and private equity firms have record amounts of money just looking for good investment opportunities. So the idea of another $100 billion is a serious concern. Right. And the reason too much money moving around the industry can be a problem is because there's a risk too many startups will get funded. And venture investors will see their returns get crushed. I've already heard from rattled VCs who see SoftBank pushing up valuations for startups, and they're worried. Remember, there's already a lot of investors with cash doing tons of deals in the tech industry. And yet, Masa is already being pretty aggressive. He led the $5.5 billion funding round at Didi, the largest venture fundraising yet. And he's put big slugs of money into India's Paytm, Grab in Southeast Asia, Improbable Worlds in the UK, and the satellite startup OneWeb in the U.S., So, Peter, I've got to ask, does all this mean we're heading for another dot-com crash? Well, I talked with David Brophy, a finance professor at the University of Michigan, and he made the case that having such a large pot of money does give you some advantages. You can take on more ambitious projects than anyone else, and you can support those investments for longer. If they're going to successfully employ all of this money, they have to have some pretty sharp uh, concepts of of areas and spaces in which you're going to make investments. Masa certainly does like to stay focused on the long term. That's right. One good example is the concept that Masa keeps talking about, the idea of the singularity. Right. The word we heard from Masa himself earlier, the idea that machine intelligence will one day surpass human capabilities. As you said, it's the stuff of science fiction, literally. And it's the logical endpoint for many of the areas that he's interested in backing through the Vision Fund. This singularity is a meaning that computer intelligence surpass mankind's intelligence. Okay? So what does it mean? The computer intelligence is binary system. Zero or one. Bunch of zero or one. Mankind's brain is actually also a binary system. Neuron attached disattached. We all have about 30 billion binary system in our head. Masa in that clip sounds a little nuts, but he's used to that kind of criticism. We'll end today's show with this philosophy he shared in Atsuo's tapes from 30 years ago. People will continue to call me stupid with every new thing I do. He missed a step and stuff like that. But to keep the venture spirit and keep growing, you need to keep trying new things. There will be some successes and some failures. Just be careful of fatal wounds, of course. But need to always push the envelope. Without that, you can't become a champion in this industry. You won't become a powerful company 20, 30 years from now. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. 
Please let us know what you thought of this episode. You can record a voice message and send it to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter. It's at P. Elstrom. And I'm Matt Bradstone. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more listeners find our show. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari, Aki Ito, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. A special thanks to Nico Grant and Pavel Alpiev, who helped me with research and translation for today's show. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.